In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John and I are here on Thanksgiving. We have a show that is playing on Thanksgiving so that if you are, you know, trying to pass the day a little bit before you get to dinner, you know, listen to a little bit of wrestling, podcasting, talk, and hopefully we have a pretty fun discussion. We are not having our normal AEW and NXT review show. We're going to have to figure out what to do because, you know, we didn't want to uh, we didn't want to record that show uh, on Thanksgiving night. So instead, we did something different, which is we watched Survivor Series 1996, a little bit of a prelude to our 1997 Raw reviews. But John, you know, going back from we're watching WCW 92 and then you kind of fast forward four years to WWF 1996, you see some familiar faces. Some familiar faces, uh, better production and um, beautiful Madison Square Garden. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. In, as I'm watching this pot, uh, the I'm watching Survivor Series '96. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about what we're gonna have coming up in 2021. You and I with the '97 uh, Raw reviews. I'm like, wow. I didn't really. I knew about the Austin Bret Hart match, of course, right? A Survivor Series, but it really this kicked off a lot of things that changed a lot of things for the WWF going forward. So, um, and we'll talk about that in detail. But this is a very historic show if if you really dig dive deep into it and I, and when we will I think people will look back and say yeah 1986 is really things really started kicking off they did and and I have I did some research I went back about four four to five weeks before this show just to kind of set the tone for where we are in WWF and you know in wrestling as well you know this this is the this just a few months earlier the NWO kicks off so that's you know that's the competitor for for wwf and they have to face you know what is the hottest thing in wrestling at this point and part of the uh build-up to this show is bret hart is basically a free agent and wwf is trying to hold on to him because he is one of their top guys but also because if they don't, he goes to the opposition. And Vince McMahon is... I, I wouldn't imagine he would be too happy with Brett being another WWF guy heading over to WCW to face his show. And so WCW's offer, Eric Bischoff's offer, was three years uh, for up to $9 million. I think there was some movie money involved in that 
contract. I think like, I don't think it was all the 3 million was all for wrestling. It was like some of it would come from the TNT Turner side, as far as getting him involved in some TV movies or something. And really like Brett is just kind of going back and forth. What he should do. Should he sign with WWF? Should he sign with, with WCW? Vince McMahon is kind of, he's holding Brett up a little bit. Like, you know, Brett's got the offer from WCW. He's like, Vince, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you one last shot. And Vince kind of doesn't call him back on time. (laughs) And then what happens is, is Brett signs a 20 year contract with WWF three years for almost 3 million per year as an active performer. And then he was going to, the rest of that contract was going to be with him in the office at less money. But that's how they were going to try to keep him was just really keep him in the family. And this is the beginning, the impetus to the uh, Montreal screw job is really the second Brett signs this contract because at some point Vince figures out that it may not be a great contract for him. And then they reopen negotiations with WCW in uh, you know, one year later, basically. So the, if you, if you want to see the impetus to, you know, eventually what happens with uh, 1997 at survivor series. So one year later, it is this, this moment at, at, in time in 1996, uh, so Brett signs and, and does a long interview on Raw about the negotiation, you know, talking about coming back to wrestle the best guy in WWF, which I think people were thinking, oh, he's going to face Michael. He's like, nope, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's the best guy. And that was part of the buildup was Brett wanting to come back and face the best guy. And so then there's the infamous story where Bischoff faxed his last offer to Brett, who was in San Jose. And then some uh, 20 some odd years later, uh, then uh, Bischoff said, nope, he, ne- he never sent Brett the, the last contract. And in fact, Dave Meltzer had a copy of it. So <laughs> not, not a, and Bischoff uh, probably should have known better to, about that one. Um, so... Also, when it comes to the main event, uh, Sid Sid Justice or Sid Vicious against uh, Shawn Michaels, it's funny. Uh, you know, back in the mid '90s, even before Meltzer had nicknames for guys like Ultimate Warrior was Anabolic Warrior. He didn't call him the Ultimate Warrior. For this, for Sid, he was not Psycho Sid. He was Cycle Sid. Uh-huh. They've taken shots at at these guys. Man, you gotta leave leave Psycho Sid alone, man. Leave Sid Vicious alone. <laughs> so, uh, originally, this match was going to be Shawn Michaels versus Big Van Vader. That was the original plan, mm-hmm. with Vader winning. But they changed plans, possibly. And I don't remember this, and it, it's possible that I knew this and I just didn't remember, but. Possibly in part that they changed plans because J.J. Dillon had left for WCW and he knew what the plan was. So I think Vince may have gotten a little weirded out about J.J. knowing so that they so they changed it to, to Psycho Sid. Or it could just be, you know, we, we heard later that, you know, Michaels did, didn't really like working with with Vader. So that could have been it as well. But I, I don't remember hearing about that before. 
I I don't remember hearing the J.J. Dillon story, but I do know about Michaels bearing Vader to Vince and stuff. And, you know, he, he's hurt. He's, he's reckless, et cetera. And even in their match at SummerSlam that year, you know, there's some little issue within the ring where Shawn Michaels pulls one of his classic, you know, pouting moments and frustration. And and uh, so, I, I, yeah, I don't think he I think he got his way and, you know, didn't want to. uh put Vader over in that situation and so they went with Psycho Sid. So the Pillman gun angle happens I think two weeks before this Survivor Series show. So a very memorable Monday Night Raw for folks. Uh, and then the idea was after this show um, when Brett beats Austin he was then going to be the number one contender and face the winner of Sid and uh, and Sean and and so I think again you know they're they're like really teasing you know Brett and Sean mm-hmm. even a year before and they're not they're not going to give in you know right they're not going to give give it to them uh, pro- probably you know I think the idea was actually WrestleMania but you know Sean had his thing and and did not did not have a match at that WrestleMania so uh, so the whole thing about this this show at least my memories are are, are two things um my first memory is obviously the austin and bret hart match but the second memory for me is uh rocky maivia Mm -hmm. and i don't i I don't remember necessarily uh if you uh like like what you thought about rocky maivia at that time because you know when you watch back he is just a corny ass baby face, but he's mm-hmm. got charisma and he's got potential, but he's also doing really goofy stuff at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not like it's very easy to, to kind of get into him. It, it was almost like a, you know, overkill in a sense with, with, with the, the, the push. So I don't, I don't remember if you even remember, you know, know what you thought about him when you first saw him in this match. I remember thinking it was really cool that he was Rocky Johnson's son and his grandfather was Peter Maivia and he kind of had the first and last name, you know, taking honoring his dad and, and his grandfather. Um, I didn't, of course, no one said, oh, this guy's going to be the biggest star in wrestling, but I liked him. I mean, I didn't hate him either. I wasn't like against his push or anything. I know a lot of people were, I just thought like, oh, he's a new young guy that they're building up and you know he looked good, had a good size and seemed to be a, a, a good wrestler. So I, I wasn't negative on him at all. I, I, I liked him. And then um, even when people were hating on him in like in 97, early 97, they ended up turning heel. I didn't understand why they were hating on him. And that's probably one of my first experiences with like the heel or fans, like truly against the baby face, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, of course the rest is history. Thank God they did that. Well, it, ha- it happens on this show. Michaels is well, you yeah. know, clearly baby face and yeah. the fans are just so behind psycho Sid. It was, it was kind of interesting to see. Well, Sid was also in the baby's position, right? This is kind of like a, they had issues. They had issues leading up to the match. Some, you know, miscommunication with some super kicks and whatnot, but they were both partners. And so it, it was kind of split at, you know, as babyface for babyface, but I think the fans in New York are just ready for a change, and they're going for the big monster. And you know, who I don't would know. Sid, Sid was doing some pretty bad stuff here, and the crowd absolutely did not care. <laughs> oh, I, like, oh, we're yeah, behind toward, Sid. Oh yeah, yeah, towards the end too, which we'll get into that. But uh, but yeah, um, I know this crowd too. Just I remember like, oh wow, and then then 
landing happened, which we'll talk about. That. <laughs> yeah, I know. This it's yeah, it's, it's you can't you can't take uh, the 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 wrestling from you know you can't take out the re- like you can have a good show, good match, but there's always going to be something in there seemingly mm-hmm. that is going to be tasteless or leave a bad taste in your mouth or ruin what was a pretty cool show and a pretty cool match it was just a poorly execution of what the finish but yeah we'll, we'll, we'll like i said we'll dive in even as well i got a lot to say about that main event all right so uh let's talk about the first match here i think the first thing is uh jim ross is technically a, a heel i guess in He's, a sense yeah because he in september he did the thing where he was the grumpy being fired from vince he's pissed off at the wwf and now he's bringing back razor ramon and diesel but then he's to bring up bringing back rick bogner as razor ramon and glenn jacobs as diesel which left me completely confused mm-hmm. and and um even though i thought Glenn Jacobs as Diesel looked pretty cool. <laughs> I just thought he's looked really cool at that, but it was just stupid because you know we we it just was. But as a, as a heel thing, I guess you can understand why it would draw heat. But um, and Rick Bogner uh, uh, used to be Big Titan in FMW. You know, had a lot more a lot of potential when he was in FMW. He was jacked and thick and a lot of agility for his size. But I don't think he ever maybe because he had because uh, of the gimmick, he just didn't really reach his potential and i think it was, it was just death gimmicks for both those guys but you know luckily you know glenn jacobs was able to get past two death gimmicks with the uh isaac Ginkum gimmick and mm-hmm. fake diesel to finally finding a money maker with kane all right so this match is the first it's the opener it's the first elimination survivor series style match you have Owen hart and the british bulldog tag teaming with the new rockers so Marty Jannetty and Al Snow as Leaf Cassidy. What a weird name for Al Snow. Yeah, it's like just like a generic kind of goofy. Well, well, what it is is it's Leaf was like an old. Well, there there was a, a like a a young actor who all the the girls loved. His name was Leaf Garrett. Oh yeah, yeah and yeah. and then. David Cassidy, and he just put the two names together. But but I, I, I get it if it's like for like a heartthrobby kind of character. But Al Snow was not like a heartthrobby kind of character. I always thought that name was so weird for him. And they're supposed to be like dorky rockers, right? They're supposed to be kind of like just goofballs. It just, it just didn't work at all, you know. I think Michael's uh, uh, Marty gets hurt in this match. He does. Looks like he hurt his knee or foot or something like that. It must be maybe an ankle because he's... If his knee, he'd be down when doing anything. But like, looks like he was gutting it out, and um, he still finished it. But God, look, it looked like it looked pretty tough to watch. And I don't know if it really messed up. If that was the how it was going to happen, where he was going to lose there, or if he was going to lose later, or whatever the orders of elimination was. And I don't know if that because his injury he had to go out first. So it seemed like things got rough in that match early on, especially during the uh, Marginale segment. So uh, they face. Furnace and Lafon in there. I, I don't know if they. I'm I'm assuming they'd been on TV. No, this was they, their debut. They debuted on pay per view. So they because they kept saying Madison Square Garden debut. I don't think they were on TV unless they were on a different syndicated show. Because I remember them just like all of a sudden doing the car and they're like, 
and debuting uh, Phil LaFon and Doug Furness. And I was like, holy cow, they got them. And and uh, so, yeah, this was their, I believe this was their in-ring WWF debut. Unless it was, like I said, this was on syndication. I mean, someone else, I'm sure someone will correct us on that. But, um, but it was okay. It was okay debut. It wasn't a home run. Uh, and and also the Godwins, so mm-hmm. you have to have the wacky tag team there as uh, on the babyface side. And what's funny is is you know we see the Godwins, and we're going back to watching ninety two WCW, and we're watching Tech Slashinger and Shanghai Pierce, and just fast forward four years. Yeah, we saw the start of their team, and now we're seeing kind of towards the ends of their run as uh, they start getting pushed aside around this time. Okay, so we'll just go through the falls pretty quickly. Uh, Marty Jannetty loses to the slop drop, so that gives the the baby faces the four on three advantage. Uh, immediately, Owen hits his uh, spinning wheel kick. Uh, I don't remember which one he hit it on. On uh, Phineas after the slop drop, and so immediately back to three on three. Uh, Al Snow gets like reverse suplex stuff off the middle rope, mm-hmm. and so on. and so he loses, and so then uh, the bulldog power slams uh, Henry it? Henry, and he gets a pin, and then this is where I thought the match got really interesting because Lafon and Furnace obviously there it's their debut, they're the baby faces, they're trying to do lots and lots of stuff. I don't know if Bulldog just wasn't on the same page with them or if he purposely was like, I'm not doing all this shit, but they there. It, it got a little funky with mm-hmm. the Bulldog there. Um, and then he gets rolled up. So uh, baby faces, uh, baby faces have the advantage and then Furnace pins Owen with uh, a German suplex, basically off of, uh, I think Owen like hit the post or something in the German him and he beat him. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was just like, I liked Furnace and LaFon because it was different, but you could, it was almost like, I, I, I would say that Owen was probably the best guy in the whole match. I thought mm-hmm. he was great, but they were trying to do stuff that maybe wasn't quite how you would do a WWF style match at that point. It was supposed to be a showcase and early on the match, uh, Doug Furnace is doing a spot with Dave Boy Smith and he goes for that big, Doug Furnace has a beautiful drop kick where he just floats in the air because those big thighs he has he floats in the air in his calves and he just just hits that drop kick there's like a really cool backflip off it and i don't know if davy maybe thought they were gonna do it was a duck to clothesline duck and clothesline and then the drop kick but it looked like it was just a duck to clothesline and then the drop kick but i don't think they got the timing off and and Furner's just gets in the air and just crashes and <laughs> it just looks really bad then and then um but you know they're I love Doug Furnace and uh, well Dan Crawford was I knew him as in All Japan and they had classic matches there and they're a great team but showing up in WWF in 1996 you know they've been beaten up and broken down a lot of that the physical style of Japanese wrestling and plus I mean WWF at the time and it still is is a a personality promotion right and those guys really didn't have it they had great physical skills and great wrestling ability and furnace can do some great stuff power wise and the fauna was a technician but they should have been heels really and i tweeted out today where i was talking to great robert silver about it like you know they you know jim Cornette would have been a great mouthpiece for him like almost like a new version of the midnight express technically you know he can do the talking and get the heat and they can do the wrestling but 
they wanted them to come out as baby faces. And they did have one really great match in their run that was with Owen Hart and Dave Boy Smith. I think sometime we'll see that sometime in uh, early 97 when we start reviewing those shows. But that's, you know. what, that's what I was wondering because even though Davey, they didn't gel with Davey like that, you have those guys with Davey and Owen, I would have imagined that that would have been a really good match. Yeah, they had a really good match with them and but it just didn't really click cuz you know Furnace Lafon never really clicked with the WWE audience and you know what should have been classic tag team matches for the WWF at the time just I just never got they just never got the momentum so and then of course you know the big car accident I think later on that year 97 with with Sid and Furnace Lafon and and I think for, I think Lafon got hurt enough to where he never returned, and then you know first I think went back to I think did some of the ECW and whatnot. So um, you know just wasn't working out. I I think they were they probably should have stayed in all Japan. I don't know if what was going on there with contract wise, but um, probably fit their style. Or and WCW they probably would have been another team in the in the log of teams they had in 96 they had so much people on that roster but um they could have had a great match with steiners and and um i don't know face the fear probably could have been a good match you know they could have had good ma- harlem heat they could have had good matches with so they probably would have beneficial they signed with wcw all right before we get to uh, the next match i wanted to talk quickly about indeed because 2020 has reshaped how we work and 2020 it's almost over. We got like like uh, five weeks left in 2020. Oh, Bus- businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. They give you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring and you only pay what you need. You can pause at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. It is their best offer available anywhere right now indeed.com slash blue wire offer is valid through december 31 terms and conditions apply so the next match and interesting layout and timing uh, of this match because it was one of the main events at least I, i had assumed it was one of the main events but second match on the card mankind versus the undertaker with uh uh, Paul Bearer above in a cage. And if the Undertaker wins the match, he gets a chance to uh, have Paul Bearer inside the cage with him. And so that is the stip. This, you know, these guys had a feud a uh, year in, probably from what, from 96 all the way through 98, right? Like they had tons and tons of matches over those three years. Yeah, uh, they and plus this feud was as Undertaker versus Mankind is really coming to the end here. And um, what do you think of this match? I want to get your thoughts on it. I thought they were working hard, but I think I was shocked beyond the entrances. Of course, the Undertaker, the Master Guard crowd was pretty 
just tired or, or wasn't really reacting too much. And I don't, I, I'm guessing maybe because this feud was at an end and they already mm-hmm. seen, I think, the, was this a year they had the, yeah, this had the, they had the boiler room match already, right? Everything, I think so. SummerSlam and then they've done stuff already. So I think they've kind of already grown tired of this feud. I think they just thought maybe Undertaker's just going to win it. And, and but I, and then at the end, they don't even give them the big step. That, yeah, that, yeah. That, that was a big, that was uh, pretty big frustrating. Switch. Yeah, exactly. I thought the Undertaker, uh, he was trying some stuff. He was, he was trying pretty hard. I thought Foley was uh, was okay. I, I thought the psychology was a little weird in some instances. Like mankind has the uh, the little gimmick thing, and he's not even trying to hide it. He's just like using it all out in the open. The referee's got to pretend like he that he's mankind is really able to shield it kind of behind him but he i don't know i i thought that they could have done a little bit better job of that because i think the heat is with the is with him using it in a way that is really hiding it from the ref but when the people saw it in full like just in full sight they're like ah, eh, well if the ref doesn't care then you know then why do we care mm-hmm. and so i was frustrated with that I was also kind of frustrated with the finish because Mankind has the upper hand. He's got him in the corner and he's using the gimmick. And all Undertaker does is get underneath him and sets him up for the tombstone and then pins him. And so it was kind of like there was no real setup for the finish either. It just kind of came out of the blue. So work-wise, I thought Undertaker worked pretty hard. Mankind was fine. But just the psychology and the layout of the match I thought was pretty lacking for those guys at least. Yeah, mankind. He he was taking some. He took some big bumps in the match. He was trying to get the crowd going and do the his, one against the yeah against the rail. He got he the rail, or even full, yeah, even the forward roll off the apron and just crash right on the f- floor. It was just a big old <laughs> gross thud. And yeah, the finish just kind of came out of nowhere. It's almost like they said, "Screw it," you know, like this is just this is taken home. And um, yeah, I, I think they could have did better work with the gimmick. Is like the old Abel, Abel, uh, pencil gimmick where mm-hmm. he's jabbing in the throat and stuff. And I don't think. Man, kind of did a bad job of it. I just think this crowd was just tired of this program, and and then the big payoff was supposed to be, you know, once Undertaker wins, he gets to have like five minutes or gets his hands on Paul Bear, and then he, Paul Bear gets out of it, and it's like well, we don't want to see any more of this. Like, just let Undertaker kick his ass and be done with it. And I mean, he could have at up. least taken one bump before the executioner comes out, right? At least if yeah. you're the fan, you're like, okay, I didn't get all of it, but at least I got something. Yeah, like one, someone big punch the corner and or something. Yeah, and the execution come out, which is, you know, Terry Bamman Gordy. He under looked a, a hood. little small to me. He looks smaller, and you know, unfortunately, you know, Terry, you know, had his troubles with the two overdoses and nearly dying twice, and so he ever since then he was never really the same. And and um, uh, you know, he came back to the United States with ECW and like. July of August of 96 and had a really great match at Raven to a point where people were like, man, he's back. You know, Terry Gordy's back to his old self, but it was really the performance of Scott Levy, Raven, that really made that match and made uh, Terry Gordy look like his old self again. So that match there, Scott, you know, uh, Raven got Terry Gordy signed. (laughs) <laughs> to the WWF with that performance, so and then, and then they put him in a full bodysuit in a match, and you know, because I guess Terry, I guess Vince McMahon's like, well, what can we do with this guy? You know, like just dude, just put him in a mask, and then just it was just for like one match, really, because I think they just 
I think they have a peer review match at the next peer review between Undertaker and the Executioner. And yeah, I, ne- I never forget when I, he showed up as that. I was like, oh, oh man, that's just, you know, how can you just Terry Gordy, man? One of my favorite teams, Terry Gordy and Bam Bam, um, Terry, it's Dr. Death Steve Williams. I'm like, how can you do this to this guy? You know, but, you know, hey, he's, he's holding on to, uh, he's so young too when he passed away. Wasn't he like 40 something years old? And, you know, and, uh, yeah, you know, this is a just this is a sad way. It was hard to see him as that gimmick. All right, the next match uh, they start with an interview, and you get to hear Hunter Hurst Helmsley with his horrendous accent. Man, it's been a while. I forgot about that. <laughs> really bad. Mm-hmm. Like man, how like he did that for a little while too. Yep. Uh, and then uh, so they do the interview and then Sonny comes out for uh, whatever reason to announce the match. I, I mean, I think they just need to get her on the show. Plus, you have Sable who is out there as well. So she could be uh, the butt of the jokes for Sonny. And so the match was um, Crush, Jerry the King Lawler, Triple H and Goldust, who were watching on 92 WCWB, like one of the greatest up and coming baby faces you could ever see. And he's now here. He's a completely different character. Mm-hmm. And then you have Mark Merrow, who we watched as Johnny B. Bad. Mark Merrow comes out with his wife, Sable. Barry Windham, who we watch as Barry Windham. And now he comes out as the stalker, though Jim Ross makes it very clear to use his name <laughs> because mm-hmm. the stalker is a terrible name. Yeah. And then young Rocky Maivia, but young Rocky Maivia wasn't the thing that popped the crowd. It was they needed a fourth guy, and the guy that they chose for their fourth guy, who was a surprise. They actually, have two surprises on this show when it came to these elimination matches. Uh, uh, a, a, a rotund Jake the Snake Roberts, who you know we're, we're watching him in 92 and we're saying oh you know he's still got psychology but it's a smoke and mirrors thing because he can't really he's not really moving well like this is a different level of not moving well jake the snake yeah, roberts yeah, yeah, yeah um what an interesting group of people right uh what made what made me sad to see is I, the stalker Barry Windham. I mean, Barry Windham, one of my favorites. Bad mustache and camel. Well, he was in transition to uh, the blackjack Mulvey gimmick with the uh, with Ch- Ch- uh, Bradshaw, right? They yeah. in '97 they formed a tag team, the Blackjack, just like Blackjack Mulvey and Barry Windham's dad. Um, so he was in transition. Now he can't. I, did he lose his gear because he's wearing like just some generic WWF T-shirt? Yeah, yeah. And I guess he must have had those, but those. Camouflage pants were kind of in style, not in style, but they were around in 1996. I remember, and he had kind of had like, did he have boots on or did he have shoes? Like he just looked awkward and he looked heavier, you know. And he just, you know, he had a bad wheel in '94, got injured, and he just that was never really the same that since then. So it's just kind of heartbreaking to see that. And you know, Jake, I remember Jake because he had that feud with Jerry Lawler, but you know they. But, played off these alcohol abuse that he had with Jerry Lawler, which is just, you know, crazy to which, think about. That. Which Chris Jericho would do with a CM Punk. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, 20 years later or whatever. Yeah. So uh, this was a definitely interesting matchup. Sonny coming out was just getting Sonny out there. Like you said, you know, the most downloaded woman in AOL. Though they, I never forget when they dropped that. Oh yeah, I remember that. Um, she looked great though. God, I mean, she's just, it was a stunner back then. And Well, they had split up the body Donnas at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. So she was just kind of doing her own thing and doing segments just to get her 
her on TV and um, just and just seeing her to come out and you're thinking like, wow, man, this girl had the whole world, you know, mm-hmm. in her hands and she screws it all up. And but, yeah, she was so beautiful and has so much charisma. So going over the eliminations here. So uh, Jake gets his revenge on Jerry the King Lawler, pins him with a DDT. Dustin gets his revenge from 1992. <laughs> it's, it's the curtain call uh, on old Barry Windham. Hell yeah. I love the curtain call finish. Uh, Mark Merrow beats a Triple H with a moonsault. And he loses to Crush, but we're not sure why, because they still haven't shown us the finish of how he lost to Crush. It just, was he to, a count out? No, he, it was he it, Crush, Crush pinned him, but they they just showed the third count and then they rolled Marrow out of the ring. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was confused by that, too. And by the way, this is uh, for people that don't know. This is Crush, Criminal Crush, mm-hmm. where he has this weird island tattoo on top of his head and dreadlocks. Dreadlocks. And uh, I mean... I don't know if you even if you took the damn fake tattoo off his head. I think he actually looked pretty cool, but uh, uh, but yeah, I, I what a bump that Mark Merrill took on the outside <laughs> that missed dive. I mean, Jesus! I mean, oh my I mean, God! I mean, he hit it clean, like as perfectly be. But if he would have slipped up just a little bit, it would have been very dangerous for him. So the crush heart punch. Mm-hmm. Puts Jake out, pins Jake with the heart punch. Dude, hitting an and, old man with a heart punch. That's I not, know. That's, that's not a bad taste, too. And so now you got uh, young Rocky Maivia. It's uh, one on two. He's got to go against Crush and Goldust. Uh, Crush sets Rocky up for the heart punch as well. Goldust is holding him. Rock moves out of the way. He hits Goldust. Then he hits a high, just a running high cross on mm-hmm. Crush to pin him. And then his finisher at this point, I, I would not have remembered this if you had asked me. I would have probably had to go through like 45 moves before I got to this. His finisher, when he first started is a running shoulder breaker. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that, too. It looked beautiful, though. A perfectly executed short shoulder breaker. Uh, you know, this is good classic booking of getting a new Bay face over, you know, gets the odds, and um, I thought they did a good job with it. So This was a match of secretly tall guys. Like, mm-hmm. Crush is, he, he's a big dude. He's always been portrayed as a big dude. But he is you had, big. yeah, no, he is. But but uh, you had guys who were just as tall or taller than him who aren't necessarily portrayed as big dudes. Triple H, who's like six two and a half, six three. Goldust is like six five. Uh, Barry Windham is like six five. Rock is like six four. Jake is like six four. Just tons of secretly tall guys in this match. Uh, you know, just just kind of. Not not doesn't mean anything, but I just you know just these all these tall dudes in this match. I'm like, man, you know, Mark Merrow and uh, Jerry Lawler look like midgets in this match, and they're not portrayed as small guys. I don't think Mark Merrow's that small. I think he might be what five eleven, right? I mean, I don't know. Well, well, you know, back in the day, we actually had men wrestling, <laughs> so <laughs> and it was a little different back then. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you point out that everyone's so tall and big, and yeah, it this was, is different WWE. It's a different pro wrestling, different pro wrestling, and a different. And this was definitely a transition too. If you look around, and you know, The Rock, it's kind of making a statement, going new faces, new 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 people. He he did a really. Poor Rocky Johnson shuffle, though. 
Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, God. But God bless him. You know, he fought through it. <laughs> he did. He did. Uh, he did a nice drop kick, though. I mean, it did, he didn't. It, it, he kind of did the one where you jump off of one leg, and, and he didn't. He didn't like do the leap off of the two legs. But he, you know, he tried to do the Rocky Johnson drop kick. Yeah, I guess it was Rocky. He did that. The the running up drop kick, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Leave 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 off one leg and do like a little spin. All right. So the best match of the night, at least as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned was uh, Austin and Hitman, and they did, like, I don't know, maybe it was like a two-minute or three-minute video package of these guys, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I want to pay for this match, like, right now, all over (laughs) again. Yeah. Like, like just based off of this video package, I want to give... Maybe not give WWE. Maybe give Austin and and Bret Hart, you know, 25 bucks each or something. Uh, Great video package. Like I said, the whole Brett thing with him coming back and Austin is just raising hell, you know, with everybody and he's making his name. So Brett does a promo before the match and he says, he's not greedy for money. He's greedy for respect. So you need to respect him. Stone Cold Steve Austin. So this was a match that was really like the match that puts Austin at the main event level, at least as far as I can remember, because you, you, you know, his character's growing, growing, growing. He's, he, he's in segments, but he's still kind of, kind of just right underneath that top level. And this match puts him pretty much right at that top level. I you know, depending on what you think of his, uh, his 97, I know he was at the intercontinental championship level for uh, most of that 97, but you know, I, I, if you're watching at this time, you go, okay, like I know who's next. Like I know who's going to be one of the guys because of how good this match was. And you know, a lot of it is Brett, but a lot of it is Austin just right with him, you know, for, for everything pretty much. Yeah, you know, I think with Austin, I think, you know, even after the King of the Ring win and the Austin 316, that thing started getting some steam. I think this is the match here that not only was his character given over, but this is a guy that can do it in the main event level, right, in the ring and deliver. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that this match doesn't get remembered as much as, of course, their classic at WrestleMania. But, God, man, rewatching this match, what a freaking great match this was and i i feel bad myself i haven't gone back and watched this I sh- this is a match i should watch all the time because mm-hmm. it had everything it had good wrestling it had two guys that wanted to fight each other and get at each other it had you know not only the big moves but it had great brawling and it just a lot of back and forth and uh, momentum changes throughout the match and just high drama and this was match was freaking awesome. And, you know, every time you think, like I said, every time I think of Austin and Brett, I think of WrestleMania, but gosh, you know, now this reminded me that, Hey, I'm not only gonna think about that match, but I'm gonna think about this match too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is um, definitely one I want to revisit again in the near future. Yeah. A couple things that I think stood out to me was, you know, this is still a year before Austin breaks his neck. So he's a different wrestler. He's not only the brawling Austin that we eventually remember, but he's doing more stuff in this match. He's, he's doing, you know, more wrestling style, more. That's not exactly his stunning Steve style, Mm -hmm. but you know, it, it, it is closer to that than you would remember him when he's on his big, big run. And I would say, 
I would still say the WrestleMania match is better. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and maybe even a good deal amount better. But this match is, uh, you know, for it a lot of it being uh, Austin, you know, kicking away and punching away at Brett and just trying to wear him out, and then Brett, you know, trying to do the same. Like they're kind of. I don't know if this was necessarily purposely done. But Brett, uh, or maybe it's JR, is talking about submission moves. Mm-hmm. And so I don't like because, you know, the, the, they were not supposed to face each other at WrestleMania. It was supposed to be Brett and Sean, and it was going to be St- uh, Steve Austin and the British Bulldog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, those were going to be the matches. But it's almost like JR is like setting up the possibility that these guys were going to come back in like a submission match or, 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 or something, you know, later down the line because he's mentioning, you know, the, the moves, the submission moves that they're doing. They're wearing each other out. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, at the time, too, like, you know, of course, Bret Hart has a sharpshooter submission, right? But Austin, he was just starting to use a stunner as his finisher for, like, the last few months. But before that, remember, he's he had the Million Dollar Dream as a finisher because he was the ringmaster and he was managed by Ted DiBiase. He even uses that here. Of course, it, it leads to the finish. So, um, you know, he's setting that up. You know, Jim Ross told a great story. Jim Ross, you know, drops his whole heel persona and just calls it the best ability because he really wants to get Steve Austin over. That's yeah. the guy, right? And um, like I said, I thought this match was great. And like, I want to get focused on the brawling aspect of the match. And like, what nowadays and what we get now in our modern wrestling is like people set up furniture and use it, right? Like, here, it was used because it was available to them, right? You know what I mean? Like, threw the guy on the table, put him on the table, you know, it, yeah, you know, just, just brawling over. It wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna put the chair, I'm gonna stack it up, I'm gonna do this thing. It's just like, keep going and at a rapid pace and, and keep the intensity up. And if there's, there's something there to use it, use it. If it's the table's there, I'm gonna put them on it, I'm gonna go off the elbow off it and, and put, and just hit him in it with it while he's on it. Like, just more believable. And I just loved this whole, I could, I could go on and on about this match and make I want to watch it again. That's how much I love it. Man. <laughs> so the finish is a pretty much a repeat of the WrestleMania eight finish between Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper puts Bret in a sleeper. Bret walks his feet up the up the uh, the turnbuckle and then pushes back. And then as Piper has the hold in, Piper falls on his back and Bret kind of bridges his feet over to pin Piper. And that's exactly what he does here. Austin has the million dollar dream on and Brett climbs up the turnbuckle, kicks it off and Austin's shoulders are covering the mat. And that's how he wins the match. Austin, the look on his face of like, you know, you won the match, but you know, I I was beating your ass and, 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 you know, I'm right with you. I thought that was awesome. Just that, I mean, he's not even doing anything. It's just a certain look. It's just a way that he leaves the ring where it's like, okay, like you're, you're, again, you're just like, "Mm, he's going to be, he's going to be next. Yeah. And you know, um, it was a good finish for this match because it's still protected Austin and, and then the day, like, you know, Austin gave Brett everything and more, right? And he just got, he made a mistake, and Brett, the veteran, as he should, right, took advantage of it and capitalized on the mistake. And, you know, he won by the skin of his teeth. So it was just brilliant all around. This is, uh, you know, just perfect booking. There was a moment in this match where Austin 
comes back and it was about as close to a babyface comeback as you could get and the crowd responded and he had a look in his eyes and i was like okay that that's a really cool foreshadowing for where we were going to go you know I, I don't remember exactly when he kind of turns that quasi babyface but you know he 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 responded and that crowd responded when he did a little comeback on Brett so i thought that was cool too yeah i well i i know for sure Royal rumble 97s when the fans are just going ape shit for him in the mm-hmm. rumble. So I think that's what, I mean, I'm, I, I will we'll rewatch these raws 97 and I'll take I mean, technically he's still a heel because I remember he cheated to win that match. Oh no, he was, but, that but was, the crowd is they like, love okay, him. yeah, we're getting behind him. And, and you know, that's when they did. And, and thank God, you know, Vince back then was on his game and he heard it and went with it. All right, so let's uh, take a last break here to talk about Bet Online. Obviously, Thanksgiving is synonymous with football. So I hope you enjoyed your football today. Uh, or maybe you're listening to this before the football games have even started. But, um, you know, Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. You can get in on their season opening bonuses and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. BLUEWIRE, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, last couple matches here. The, you you mentioned Diesel and Razor earlier. This this match was this match, <laughs> and there's, there's a good reason why because what the, what the finish was played out. But yeah, yeah. All I could think of was um, there were guys in this match who must have been when they saw the booking sheet, they must have been like, "Son of a like, why why am I in this match?" Because you have Farouk, who they're, who they're pushing uh, in 1996. He's, you know, the, the Nation of Domination thing is, is getting kicked off. You have Big Van Vader, who we already talked about, who was supposed to originally win the title on this show. Mm-hmm. Yoko is definitely past his prime, and he's not really treated as special anymore. Uh, but Flash Funk debuts, and... and he, you know, it's kind of the, that parallel to, to 92 because we're going to see him uh, very soon um, uh, in WCW. But the pop, well, actually, wasn't even a great pop, but again, another surprise performer here. So it's Farouk Diesel, Razor, and Big Van Vader against Yokozuna, Savio Vega, Flash Funk who Jim Jim Cornette swears he's never seen before <laughs> and Superfly Jimmy Snuka making his comeback after being inducted into the Hall of Fame the night before and if you thought Snuka was old at WrestleMania against the Undertaker no he's he's much older here and uh you know I mean the the crowd enjoys him but I don't think they take him too seriously at this point but Vince takes him seriously man Vince is going nuts for the superfly I thought the only good like the match wasn't bad it was really the finish because they had to get out of there and they didn't have a great plan of getting out of there but I thought the highlight of the whole thing was Ross and Cornette just going back and forth yeah like uh I think Cornette no Ross was saying how 
you know, if he was the manager uh, of uh, Deezer and Razor, Razor, they'd be better off than where they were. And then he said, I forgot, was it Yokozuna or no, it was Vader. He was like, yeah, you know, if I even if I was managing Van Vader and Cornette's like, you couldn't even manage a Wendy's. <laughs> and he said, I could if it was in your neighborhood or something, because Cornette's just a gigantic Wendy's fan, meaning yeah, that Cornette yeah. would eat there all day. So I, th- I thought their back and forth was really funny because it was it allowed Jim Ross to kind of get in on the jokes and get in on the digs. And when he was the announcer, he was always the butt of the jokes normally. But here he was heel Jim Ross, so he was getting off his jokes as well. It wasn't sun. They they did a transition from Sonny to Jim Cornette, and he like took a shot at Sonny, and and I think Sonny said something. So uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, it was it was good. I mean, yeah, that was a highlight. Cornette, and Jim Ross, highlight. Like when he said, Jim Ross, I'm not even a manager, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just uh, and there's a sad display. I mean, just I mean the god the 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 miss misfire the flash funk gimmick for two cold Scorpio um, Yokozuna being gosh looked like he was well over almost six hundred pounds and sad to see him you know the way he was and I think he even hurts Big Van Vader in this match when he does him the old rock bottom. Uh, you're an Augie slam. I think he Vader hurts his shoulder on it. And, um, the matches breaks down and just, you know, you'll go with the, the results, but it's just, uh, it's like, it's like they're doing the match and they have no reason. They have no way to get out of it. So yeah, we, we only did. have two, two falls. So Savio gets jackknife power bombed. And, and so he's out of the match. Diesel beats him. And then we get a super splash on razor and razors out. And so we're we're stuck at three on three, and then it just they just all start fighting each other, and the referee calls for the match, and they get double DQ'd. Savio gets his e back by he coming comes out back. with the chair, and he cracks Diesel with a really stiff chair shot to the back. I guess you know with that back, I guess he could take it, no problem. And he just starts hammering with the chair shots, and it just just a, the they say the, the everyone's disqualified, and the fans go poop. <laughs> They're just so upset. This was, this was a, a really bad thing that they would do from time to time uh, at Survivor Series matches, or or even like sometimes on. Um, you know, on big cards, they would have like a mm. six man or an eight man. And then it was like two minutes in and like everyone just gets disqualified because they need to move on. They're running out low on time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, Shawn Michaels and Sid, Psycho Sid. I thought this was a pretty fun match. You're going to get stuff that you that you normally get with Sid, like him, you know, putting his arms down by his side while getting punched in the face uh uh his own like sort of sidewinder punches you never really see a human being throw punches the way that that Sid does but other than that I thought he was pretty darn good in this match and I know a lot of it is because of uh of Michaels but Sid you know when you talk about Sid just the highest of the high ceilings of of potential when he's in WCW or in NWA with the skyscrapers, Vince sees so much potential in him as like the next Hogan. He signs him and, and puts him in the main event at WrestleMania eight. And then, you know, fails the steroid test back in WCW. They put him right back in the main event. He's supposed to be in the, the match with big Van Vader at Starcade, but then the, uh, the thing with Arn happens. And so Ric Flair gets put back in that spot 
And so Sid is just, you know, his his career up until 1996 was just like so much potential, never fulfilled it, often his own worst enemy, sabotage his own stuff. And here was like the one match where if you want to look back and say, okay, this is the Sid that I always thought was going to be the guy. This is probably that match. I'm trying to think of another match that he had where he really reached his potential like he did in this match. No, the, no you're right. This is his uh, best performance. Ever. I thought he did it. I thought he did a good job himself, too. I know it's, a lot of it's Sean, of course. Sean really bumping around for him, making him look great. Um, you know, Sid, he had it all. He just didn't have the the brain. You know, to really reach his potential, really take advantage of what he was given. He was given an opportunity from the start, you know, and he just was, you know, I don't think he was ever a wrestling fan and he just didn't take it serious. Like I say, sabotage his career. He, there are times where you, you know, fake injuries and play softball. That's why he was <laughs> it's called softball, softball Sid Vicious and or softball Sid. And. You know, that's why they didn't really go with him for a long time as champion after he won it here. But, God, what a connection this guy has to crowd. When he comes out, like, he is, like, connecting with everyone, right? His looks, like, he looks around the building. He's looking at everyone, and people see him, and they're they're connecting. That cool fist pump with people that he, when he walks in, he's just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, like that pump you up, man, if I was, like, there and I got fist pump from Sid. Uh, he is, you have probably one of the best looks ever in pro wrestling history. Um, just, like, you know, if you want to manufacture, like, a – just a perfect specimen for pressing. It would be him. And even in the ring, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh Lutez, but you know, he knew what he could do and he did it really well. Like he knew how to connect. He looked at the crowd all the time. He constantly kept him engaged in the match. I would say he's a pretty decent worker. I know people will probably laugh. All the experts probably laugh at me saying that, but you know what? A good worker to me is who can keep the crowd interested in what they're doing out there. And like, just like when you remember, he would grab the power bomb and he'd look around, right? And wait till the people start rumbling and roaring and then he'd do it. You know, a lot of nowadays people just do power bomb and, you know, they're often down, they're often a two count, <laughs> but, but, or even, even sometimes even less than that. So, um, he is, you know, he's great in his own way. And I just wish he had the head on his shoulders to really take advantage of what he was given. And he could have been a major superstar. He could have been the next Hogan if he would have, cause he can cut a good promo. Uh, he can cut a uh, convincing. I think still think he's better as a heel. And I love this. I, I know it's kind of a rib on him, the psycho Sid thing, cause the scissors and Arn Anderson, <laughs> but, that theme music he has, the psycho sound and him coming out, like it's just, just oh man, it gave me goosebumps. And this is a really good performance. The finish was kind of funky, and then we'll go over that. Not just with what they did, but the execution of it. Um, but yeah, go through the match and we'll talk about that. All right. So what happens is Sid grabs a uh, a video camera and he's about to hit. Shawn Michaels with it. it the ref is down at right no no there's no rough bump here it was so odd because why would he he's he has the advantage in this match and before that let's just talk about Shawn was like getting booed and he's like all of a sudden he's like saying fuck you to the crowd and all that stuff like <laughs> just freaking out like but but anyways um 
but he just grabs like Sid just grabs the camera, but there's no real rhyme and reason. Like he he's already in control, which right. I don't understand why right. he would just do that. But they did the thing what they did, and so he's teasing that he's going to hit Sean, and Jose Jose Lothario uh, is on the apron, like yelling at the ref, like dude, like this guy's got a camera, and then Sid just turns around and bops Jose with it, and. So what they tease is that he's given this old man a heart attack. And so eventually Sean goes out uh, to, to check on him. And I don't know what uh, Sid, Sid grabbed, but he grabs something and then he hits Sean on the back, throws Sean in the ring. And is it powerbomb finish? Yes. Powerbomb finish and he wins a match. And so the, the, the story or, or Sean's out in this match for losing the title is that he cared way more mm-hmm. about his trainer than he did about losing that championship. So that's Sean's out. And yeah, okay. That's fine. Like, you know, the, the, what they're setting up is they're setting up Sean to win the belt back at the Alamo dome at Royal rumble, because that's Sean's hometown mm-hmm. in San Antonio. And so, you know, that, that whole story like makes a whole lot of sense to me, especially cause you got to sell those tickets at that, at that Alamo dome for for that Royal rumble. So how, how are you going to sell it? Well, you know, this baby face is going to come back and, and beat this mean guy. The, the problem was, is that uh, at that point, Sid might've been a little bit more of the fan favorite uh, when it happened, but I want to rewatch the Royal rumble. Cause I don't really, remember the crowd reaction to that match well it, it came on last after the rumble right i'm pretty sure that was the last match and i think crowd was kind of tired then too and i mean sean got a good reaction but it wasn't uh it wasn't as big as um it wasn't as good of a match i think as this one i mean this one the finish was funky like i said it just out of the blue he takes the camera and he smashes uh, jose thrower in the chest and now he's having a heart attack sean jumps out is concerned now sid <laughs> goes to grab the camera to hit sean but i don't know if the referee told him or someone else told him like dude the ref's not out yet so they had to quickly go back in the ring and they had to do the ref bump and they like they don't even like set it up. They just like get in position in the corner, do the Irish rip and then the reversal and then, you know, Dave, Dave or Earl Hebner gets taken out. Right. So um, it was just like poorly executed there. Um, I think they should have done something more simpler like with they could have had the same story maybe there is a a a big ref bump that causes all three of them to kind of go crashing or there's a ref bump that but the baby faces go crashing out and sid goes to clothesline sean sean ducks and but unfortunately jose throw is behind sean and so he gets hit with the clothesline at chest and sid's like oh my god i can't believe i just did that right i just you know, can't believe, you know, he's hurt and everyone's kind of concerned. But Jose, he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be like heart attack, but he could say, you know, you know, just finish the match, Sean. You know, it's more, more of like a Rocky moment with, uh, you know, Rocky three and mm-hmm. coach mm-hmm. and just saying, oh, I'll be OK. Finish the match. He gets carted off. Now, Sean is like ever since then, now Sid has the advantage and Sean doesn't look right. And finally, Sid just wins clean. Let him win clean as a baby face and celebrate. And, you know, 
because the crowd would want to cheer him anyways, right? I kind of would have pulled Audible there, just have him win clean without the camera stuff. And then you do the heel turn if you're going to do it the next night in Raw. And this is how I would book it because that's what I was thinking out when I was watching it. I would have, you know, because the, the story of the match is really Sid winning the championship, right? That's the should be the biggest story. Mm-hmm. But they open up the show with an interview with Shawn Michaels to get Jose Lothario's update and everything. And out comes Sid because this is Sid's moment. Right. And now they're still concerned with Sean and still concerned with Jose Lothario. They're, they're disrespecting him. And there's a little disagreement there. And finally, Sid just goes psycho, <laughs> quote unquote, on Sean. And just like how he turned heel on Sean uh, after the WrestleMania 95 match with, uh, with with Sean Diesel, you know, the multiple power bombs again and destroy Sean. And that's when you turn him heel right there, I think. You know, but that's just me kind of booking as I was watching this. Um, Cause I thought the execution of the whole camera was just so poorly done. Cause it just looked stupid because he was complete control. Now I don't know if they messed up something and Sid messed up something and went to that too early, but it just looked stupid when the, why would this guy, he's just destroying, not destroying Sean, but every time Sean would get an advantage, he would counter it and, and Sean would fight from behind and just didn't, just didn't make sense to me. Overall, I would say I enjoyed the show I was also just so intrigued at the mix of personalities <laughs> on this show. It was a definitely a year in transition. It was 96. Definitely transitional year because you got the old guys, you know, like we said, like Jake, Barry Windham, and then you got the young guys like Rock and Austin and Triple H who are on their rise. But yeah, and then you got some outliers folks that that you know some people don't even remember like uh L- you know LaFon's and Furnace. Mm-hmm. Um and uh flash funk coming back so yeah it was it was such an interesting thing but it did get it did get me excited for the uh, 97 raws that we're going to start talking about and look at this like look at this show here you have steve austin having this great performance against brett which solidifies his main event status for the future right or i mean he's gonna be a major player in the future for in their in their plans you have rocky maivia who's debuting who they feel like can be that a major player for them right and then you have sean not because they plan this way but the crowd going with sid and turning on Sean kind of started the whole Sean turning heel stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We'll start that. Like, so it kind of, this, this, like I said, Survivor Series kicked off a lot of stuff for the future and, and future business that ended up, you know, become record business for them. So the next show has uh, Brett against Sid in the main event. Brett gets a chance to win the title. He does not win the title because we know what's coming at Royal Rumble. But uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that that's what that's where we go, and I, I don't plan on. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that December pay per view. Actually, I don't. I don't maybe I should kind of take a look at it before we start our ninety six raws or ninety seven raws. Yeah, I don't remember that either. So maybe I'll just you know take a look at it myself too. I did watch a little bit of the raw. Like I want to know what they're gonna follow, they followed up with um, on raw. Like one of the matches, the first match they had was like a brawl between Steve Austin and Mankind. 
Hmm. It was supposed to be Steve Austin versus Vader, which is was interesting booking. But of course, Vader was hurt in that yeah. match. With, yeah, uh, it, yeah, it was supposed to be like uh, um, they, they they said it on, on the show, Austin and Vader, and like uh, some kind of stipulation. No Maybe it was a number of contenders, or I don't know, I don't know, some kind of match. Yeah, but uh, you know, him and Mankind have a you know nice little brawl around the around the ring and stuff. And of course, you know those two guys' history, you know, just like a lot of cool like look into the future stuff. But yeah, totally. So that was a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, you know, people enjoyed that. But we'll sort of figure out. We'll definitely be back next week. We're unsure of the timing because John and I have to figure out when we can record again. Uh, We still need to do the WCW Saturday night from this week. Uh, So if we can do it before... Mon- uh, before Monday, we'll we'll try and do that. If not, we'll have to sort of figure out if we can do like two on the next show. But you know, we'll we'll figure it out. It's all schedule based. I, I'm I'm uh, out of town, and uh, and that's what makes it a little bit hard. But we'll we'll be back soon. I, I will let folks know what we are doing. But we're getting close. We're getting close to uh, the end of this WCW Saturday Night Run. So last few shows. Plus, we'll sort of figure out if we're going to do something for Starcade. I hope well, so. I hope so. I like to revisit, especially definitely some of those matches on there for sure. All right. So for John, I am Double G again. Have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll see you when we see you. Peace out.